Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Hey, y'all. Got a special bonus weekend episode of Scuffed. This is a sprawling conversation on the GA Cup, U.S. soccer development in general, the success of the Seattle Sounders Academy at GA Cup, sort of unprecedented, with Bobby Warshaw and David Goss from MLSsoccer.com. I joined them on Twitch for a conversation that went about an hour and a half, and we recorded the whole thing, and here it is. First video for us on Twitch, we just did the whole GA Cup broadcast, David Goss, Bobby Warshaw. On Twitch, we're joined today in our first ever time doing this by Adam Bells. He runs the stuff, the Scuffed Podcast, the top podcast. I would say the premier to use the GA nice. Cup lingo, yeah. the premier youth soccer podcast in North America. I would agree with that. Is that Thanks, fair? Yeah, 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 I think so. Uh, so we're just gonna kind of do a full debrief on everything we saw at Generation Cup and a little bit on. Just the evolution of it. Because I saw it in 2011, 12, and 13 when I was playing in Dallas. David has covered it for five years. We've covered it together for two years now. So we just kind of want to talk about the evolution of the tournament, the evolution of youth soccer, and players we like and, and dig into that. Yeah. Does that work? I think it was a great time. Adam, I think we've all – me and Bobby have talked about this a million times. But last year we went to GA Cup. And I was excited for Bobby to see it for the first time. And Bobby helps bring me down all the time. But I think I walked away from the tournament not being more positive about the youth soccer scene in Canada and the U.S. And then this year was the most positive I've ever been leaving one of these tournaments from the way MLS teams are going about developing players, but also the way the teams play. So it was as good an experience as we have. And I think that's why we're so excited to continue talking about this. Um, but I'm curious what you saw from the outside. Adam. Yeah, that's the, that's a good place to start, dude. Good question to well, start. Yeah, what was your impression from me, the outside? Let me turn it around on you. So what speci- – I know you guys have talked about this a lot, but what specifically was so encouraging to you about what you saw? I mean aside from the obvious fact that Seattle won the tournament. Yeah. So we – so one of the things we've discussed is the competitive ability mm-hmm. of MLS teams just to compete in moments – um, and not get run off the field or understand the conditions around them and not you know, be obsessed with their philosophy and their style, which we saw a few years ago, and to adjust to those moments and to adjust to things like that. I think one of the other things positive for me is you always hear about star players coming in. And a lot of times I felt like I'd come in and, yeah, they were the best players because you knew that from before, but it didn't actually feel like the teams were doing anything to improve these players or help them fit a system better or help them move into being a pro better. And that felt a little different last this year. When you looked at Daniel Leva, when you looked at David Rodriguez and Ricardo Pepe on FC Dallas, when you looked at Kobe Hernandez Foster on the Galaxy, um, Chituru Adonze on Vancouver, it felt like... Nailed that name, dude. Thank you, you got that name down. Thank you. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. It's a hard one. But it felt like those teams... One, are starting to create better identities from the top down as a soccer program. And it's allowing these kids, I think, to be in positions to succeed. And I think I see a lot of that with Red Bulls because I cover Red Bulls too of like, yeah, they fit the system. They know how to move up. But now I'm starting to see it in Seattle, in Dallas, in L.A., in some of these other cities of just an idea of how to get a player into professional ranks at a comfortable level. And that's something I was impressed by this tournament. I would say the biggest – 
God, it's hard to actually articulate the feeling of it. But, Adam, it felt like there's a boomerang effect that happened with American soccer in the last 10 years where everyone was so desperate to play beautiful soccer, to build players that could pass, like build players that could play out of the back, that they overcompensated. That everyone at all times was saying, let's put the ball on the ground, let's play our 4-3-3, let's split the center backs, get the ball to the pivot, build forward, which is awesome and important and it's absolutely something that needed to happen. But in that, they forgot how to win a soccer game. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair way to put it? Or they forgot what actually matters in this sport. So they're teaching all these kids, this is how you play to the back. This is your technique. You know, these are the rotations. But within that was lost was the ability to just win a game and all the different ways to do that. So these teams, and we talk about this all the time in the broadcast, these MLS teams could play good soccer. They could build from the back. They could keep them on the ground. But at some point, Valencia and River and Flamengo and all these international teams would come and just run them over. They would be in the middle block or they would press and they wouldn't have as much of the ball, but they were just incredibly consistent with their ability to figure out ways to win games. And it just had this consistent feel of it was men playing against boys. It was people who understood what was on the line playing people playing a children's game. And let me add to that, because this is a conversation I had with an MLS Academy coach who doesn't have a USL setup and doesn't have a team that trains at the same facility as the same time as a first team, you could start to see the difference in clubs where young players are getting challenged with pro players consistently. And you can speak to this better, but I know you were at Dallas, which probably did it better when you were there because you've said you played with Weston, you played with Reggie Cannon, kids like that. But, you know, the Galaxy coaching staff kept talking to us about if you're a good 15, you play with the 17s. If you're a good 17, you play with the USL team just in training, not games, but in training. And I think we're starting to see the fruits of that in those moments of understanding how to get by because they're not quicker and they're not better than the pros. And so they are learning and training just how to get results, just how to get by in a drill and how to start to like get your level as you get comfortable. Do you guys think that there's a uh, kind of two classes of academies emerging in MLS? Like, yeah. There's uh, maybe like, what, four or five who are just way ahead of all the other ones? So I would stick I, – I would put Toronto in the conversation as one of the top academies right now. I would put, um, I would put the LA Galaxy in there. I would put FC Dallas, and I would put Seattle. That would probably be the five top, right below Say them. Say those names again. So Seattle, LA Galaxy, FC Dallas, and Toronto. I would say right below them is NYCFC, Red Bulls, and probably DC United. What about is Philly? It, Where does Philly fit in there? Well, can, uh, I, good can call. I add something there? Yeah. I would say that coming into this year, in our head, it was FC Dallas, the Galaxy, NYCFC, and Red Bulls. They had been the four traditional ones. Yes, before Seattle kind of Chris class came onto the scene. Seattle, RSL, and mm -hmm. Philadelphia – were on the edge. They were the next class. I don't know. Philly is in a weird place to me because we have said that for three years now. Basically yeah. since YSC came on board, we have said that. And they've also put a bunch of players in Major League Soccer now. Right. But when you uh, – all the things we talked about right at the start of this, Adam, Philly has not proven any of those. Like um, not, not being able to win games in difficult situations, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Adjust to – their players – soccer IQ on the field adjusting to moments. But then you bring Brendan Aronson into MLS and he's fine. 
So I might be wrong in the way I read watching their youth academy teams from how they develop their players. Well, but it doesn't seem as coherent, even though they have the the system built up as the other clubs. Well, let's get into that later. Like, let's talk youth player in GA Cup, because I have a strong feeling on that, that if you look at everyone that the union have brought through, Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson, Marial, these weren't, and Adam, you, you, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. They were not A-plus prospects. Like, they were not, quote-unquote, blue-chip high school players who everyone thought was can't miss. You know, like Andrew Carlton, Paxton Pomichol. These were guys where it's like you have to get them through. Austin Trusty was not that guy. Brennan Aronson. Aronson was because he performed very well at GA Cup and was their star coming in. But not quite at the tier where you say once he plays at 17 or 18, he's going to be. You would or you wouldn't? I would, yeah. I I didn't think of it. I even watched Aronson in USL last last summer and i was like okay you know he's he's a decently technical player he seems to be able to pass the ball but like i didn't see anything special about him and yeah i was wrong you know so anyway we'll get i want to get into that because i think that's really important and the youth soccer turn into professional yeah. can but, i say so something can i say one more thing about that is like yeah I, I know you guys probably agree with this but i've really like it's been driven home to me in the last i don't know four or five months that things can change so fast for these kids in, I mean, like in a matter of months, they can go from being somebody who doesn't look ready to somebody who does look ready. I mean, uh, Aronson's an example. Pomacall's an example. I mean, I know we're talking about a little higher age group there, but no. But Lave is an example. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's do. Let's just dig into this then. So, well, Lave is an example of last year. We saw him as a good player. One of the things I think is how these players handle, obviously developing physically mm -hmm. which is one of the things all these coaches talk about is like yeah this kid's a good player mm -hmm. he's going through a growth spurt right now and he can't figure out how, how to move and that's something that we're going to stick with this player on because we believe in them and we think they'll come back around on, on the other side so that's part of it but the other part of it is how they react to going up each rung and how i think leva is one of those guys where he made a leap last year he was 14 years old playing in a u17 tournament showed that he could hang once he realized he could hang, he realized how to be successful. You push him to the next level, shows he can hang, then learns how to be successful, and now they sign him to a homegrown deal. So that's one of those guys, I would say, who so, just shows that ability. In every the, – the million-dollar question is how do we get top-tier professionals? And I think that there's two parts to it, and we don't actually distinguish these two parts enough. The first is what happens until they're 17, right? Like how good is a player when he hits the age of 17? And my money, like my thought all along is that we've always been fine in that, right? We're not Germany. We're not France. We're not like we're not these top tier teams, but we're next. If you look at U17 results forever, we've always been pretty consistent at getting out of the first round. We've always had youth teams that did pretty well against international teams. We've always been OK at producing 17 year olds. The part that we've really failed at, I know that's up for debate. So if either of you, either of you guys disagree, that's <laughs> Adam, fine. I've debated him on this for a while. So feel free to jump in if you but, have. Like, no, we've I, always I, I, yeah. What's, so no, you don't agree with him, David? I don't disagree with him totally, but he, I think, one, romanticizes the error he came through. Um, and there's like, and I, and I do agree to an extent that special players are special players. And the academy system isn't going to develop Landon Donovan. Landon Donovan is who he is. It's going to create a pathway for more players to come through that are late bloomers or figure it out. It's going to develop more solid pros, and it's going to give that special player a place to start their pro career. But I do agree with Bobby that, you know, 
I mean, Michael Bradley, I guess, is a weird example because of his dad. But there are special players, and they'll be special no matter the era. Do I think that all of this has improved a lot? Yeah. I don't think Bobby's ODP team could compete with a top MLS Academy team. So that's where we disagree. Okay. Well, I can, I, I can say it totally makes sense to me that the kids who are getting training with professionals at the ages of 16, 17, 18, and maybe this is the next part of your point, Bobby, but totally makes sense to me that those kids are going to be way in a way better position to be like good pros or maybe even great pros because of that exposure they're getting at 16, 17, 18. Yeah. I mean, dude, listen, I don't know how to account for the fact that I probably am romanticizing what was my own. It happens to everyone. How can we not? How can you not romanticize it? For sure. I fully acknowledge that. And you played against and saw great players. I don't deny that those are great players. For sure. But you also just have to look at, at like, this, this is an impossible conversation to have. But ultimately, the U17 results haven't really changed. The U20 results haven't really changed. And we point to things yeah. like... They're there one are, game knockout tournaments. Right, but yeah, also very important. Uh, but I mean, I love point, the World Cup. It's the best thing ever. But rating countries based on it is a bit crazy. So anyway, <laughs> we, we'll never get to the bottom of this. But my belief is that we've always... We are, we, We've always produced players that get to 17 at roughly good enough. And we just have been bad at what do you do at 17? You know, Matt Hummels, all these guys in Germany that were at 17 were very good, all of a sudden got 100 professional games in their next two years. And we didn't. And it was that. Even if when they did go to a professional team, the coaching and the training and the preparation for them as 18-year-olds and young pros wasn't good enough. So that's kind of my overarching thought on what the difference between turning this GA Cup players into good professionals and where it stands. That's what you had. You have us on, man. We get off track. So, yeah. hey, is my face frozen for you guys, or was it for a while? No. Okay. No, you look great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, okay. Back on the track about GA Cup. Do you have any? Do you have any thoughts on that? Any follow up thoughts or points? I don't think so. I'm I'm interested in what you guys are saying. Uh, I I, I think that the, this idea of more kids at 16, 17 getting exposure to professionals in training and maybe even USL minutes has to have a massive impact. It has to have a yeah, massive impact part, on the whole sure. player pool. I agree. And I think that part is huge. I, I guess my original point is, have we gotten better at, at getting these guys to 17 more talented? That's the part I'm not sure about. But when they hit 17, we've undoubtedly given them more opportunity to get better. But if we're doing fine, if we've been doing like okay at the U17 and U20 level internationally, I mean, which mm-hmm. I guess is a little bit debatable, but you know, we're not the worst. <laughs> Do is that really the is that really the issue, or is it the is the is the real challenge going from that seventeen year old level to, you know, an impact player in MLS or even in Europe? Yeah, that's the next part, and I think Bobby, when you look at the system, I think the game has changed a lot over the last fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Players from the O three and O fives would not be prepared. For the tactical necessities of what's being asked and in soccer nowadays right so the quality individually was but these team i mean we talked to the example i've given already is the tfc u15 coach who talked about playing out of the back and how the center mids take the half spaces and the wingers come and find the game and where they want to press i don't think a 17 year old going over to germany from 2003 like the style of coaching they went through would be prepared for that in this modern game I really didn't want to use that phrase, and I couldn't get away from using the phrase the modern game. But I just think it's part of it. You made it sound beautiful, at least. Yeah, for sure. God, the city is so loud behind us. Um, so that's one of the things I thought had to change. 
because that's one of the big things that has changed. We were in Bobby's apartment and he lives I, in Hell's Kitchen. And it, it doesn't bother like, me. It doesn't bother me. Um, I mean, well, isn't that isn't don't you think that the experience that the Sounders guys have had in USL and I don't think outside of Leva, any of them has even looked particularly good for the Tacoma Defiance. But yeah. but that experience was a had to have been a big factor for them in their in, the, in their mm-hmm. title run, right? I mean, they yeah. seven of those players, six or seven of those U17 starters have played professional minutes. Yeah, and that's a really good lead into it. What I think is a really important point about GA Cup and really about trying to evaluate anything off of these GA Cup games or youth games is that there is a giant difference between between the games sometimes and the fact that some of the games look like training exercises in jerseys. They just look like games where people don't have their jobs on the line and they don't even really care that much about winning in the end. Um, it is a development exercise. There are some games that look like real soccer games. And even though they are uglier and there's the ball isn't on the ground as much and there aren't as many passes completed, it is a, it's much better to watch. Um, it's also much better. It's much, you're much more able to take something out of those games in terms of evaluation. Um, and if we want to talk about the Sounders team, what did they do well? All of their games were at that level. And before, I would say the only team that really gave me that feeling was FC Dallas. Lucci's teams, they played the game at an intensity and a speed and a level of focus that was higher than everyone else. And the Galaxy were close. And NYCFC were close at times. But like when you watch an FC Dallas game, you're like, all right, this is a real soccer game. This is more than them going out for development and a training exercise. And what the Sounders did is they not only did that and got the games to that level – but they looked comfortable doing it. And with Lucci's teams in Dallas, they were able to do it, but I wouldn't say that that it looked natural to them or that they could then get to that level and make sense of it, right? But you have a guy like Daniel Leva who can both be the like the destroyer in the middle, can both tackle, can both comp- compete with, and there's, there's nothing better at GA Cup than watching whoever River Plate plays a defensive yeah. midfield. Because that person, even though he is 5'5 and looks with a baby face, is a man and plays the game like a man. And the only player I've seen in my five years of watching these games who could compete with with Flamengo and River Plate's defensive midfielders was Daniel Leva, both in his ability to actually like win, go into duels with them, but also not look frazzled by the la- the the pace the game is being played at. Yeah, and I think that's a really important that. note about about youth events is some are training exercises and some are real real games. I'm so glad to hear that about Leva. I mean, I was I was super stoked about him before this mm-hmm. tournament. I can we just talk about him for a second? Yeah, uh, yeah. I agree with every, everything you guys have said and written about him. I I, I read your um you know your best eleven Goss and you know I, I listened to most of what you guys said said about it. But here's my question: Do you worry about his mobility, like at the next level, like his just his just his pure athleticism? <laughs> No, I don't, mainly because of the way Bobby described it. But with the River Plate game, he played as a 6, and 8, and a 10 throughout that game. And when the game broke down, they basically pushed two defensive mids in and said, you're going to play the rest of the midfield yourself. And he covered from the top of his own 18 into the final third by himself and would pick up the ball and advance the attack on his own foot. And he showed the ability to like be quick enough to react to situations to get tackles in when he had to be strong enough to win things in the air. But his, I think just his, his length and his gait, he's going to be able to cover ground in that midfield. But I think he still has the quickness to react in that midfield area, going side to side when he has to and things like that. So I don't 
Uh, most of my worries about him, because one was about his physicality because he's so thin. Yeah. Almost all of those were taken away by his performance throughout this tournament. So I, I'm not worried about him. And I think the eight, the number eight position is going to be where he nets out. Um, also, if he breaks in with Seattle, I think he's going to play next to Roldan. And so uh, they're both sixes. They're both eights. And Roldan covers an insane amount of ground. So it could be a perfect partnership for him. Adam, you asked the question because you. I want to hear your thought about it before I give mine. Okay. Well, I mean – I. Th- what really sticks out to me is his mental quickness. You know, like he's he sees yeah. things really fast and and reacts as fast as his body will allow him to. I just I just worry about that pure like lightning quickness uh, to react to stuff and and even if he sees it and reacts as quickly as his brain can, can he get there? Can he get there to like close down that space? He couldn't. There were times when he couldn't do it in this tournament. You know, like he would get. He would get beat. I mean, not a ton. I'm not. I'm not trying to dog yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for so, sure. So I, I, I go into these. I go into these things like always with um, some nagging doubts about the players I really like, and I'm looking for them to to push those doubts away. And I'm not sure it 100 percent was pushed away in this case. If that makes yeah. Any sense. So that's a really fair point, and something we don't discuss enough with youth players. You had a really good few tweets about it, I think two weeks ago, <laughs> just talking about the word athlete has become a dirty word within American soccer, probably because it got overvalued by college coaches and whatnot at some point. But yeah, there's absolutely no question that athleticism matters in this sport and America probably undervalues it. My second part to that is like, especially in youth soccer, and, then, and I'm a case of this, is that like somebody should have looked at me at, at 16 and 17 and been like, he just cannot move his feet fast enough. Right. We at this exact moment, even though he can pass, even though he can do a lot of good things, he cannot move his feet fast enough to play at an elite level at center midfielder. He has an outside back or a defense or a center back. Um, so I'm very sensitive to this idea. Um, and, and I don't think we do it often enough. And I, Josh Atencio is the best example. Josh Atencio was awesome at GA Cup last year, playing up in age. If, if people don't know, he was a, a center midfielder for the Sounders, recently moved to center back. And anybody that would listen, I would say Josh Atencio is a phenomenal soccer player. I don't know what about his body projection, how many defensive midfielders there are in the world who have his hips, his legs, and his butt. Meaning not that like the, the actual body parts matter, but what they mean for your gait, for your ability to move, for your ability to, to lateral quickness. Because um, those are the parts of your body that, that matter for the way your, your body does those things. Um, so yeah. I don't think we look at players, people at 15, look at their parents, look at the way their body projects to be, and then slot them into position for that because we've had so many friggin' players come through who are great soccer players but and their bodies did not live up to it. To go back to our original conversation just off the end of Bobby's comments, in an MLS academy is the first time you're seeing people do that because it doesn't matter yes. about the result tomorrow. Your coach wanted you to play center mid because you were the best center mid on the team and you were going to win the tournament. But I was also on youth national teams, right? I had a U17, Fair, but they U20. see, but they see you for a week and a half at a time at the most, right? You tell me you can't look at a kid once and no? No, no, but it's like, no, I, I don't think you shift a kid's position for their life based off the four days you have them in a Florida camp with kids they've never met Watch before. me, watch me, David. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But now you look at a situation where the Seattle Sounders can say, this is what we require from a center back. This is what the top center backs look like. This is what the top center mids look like. This is your future. 
Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying we should anybody should switch Leva's position. I think like his like For you guys sure. have both said his ability to his ability to take the ball in tough spots and find solutions. I mean, he was he was maybe the best at that in the tournament among the Americans that mm-hmm. I watched. You know, um, that's huge. But I'm my heart wants me to like think of him as you know is my heart wants to say is he like a potential world class number six and. I I worry about the mobility when it comes to that. That's fair. You know? That's fair. I would say that I do not rule it out yet. There, I didn't see red flags. Like you, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but I didn't see red flags that I would rule it out. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We we we've assuaged some of some of the fear there for Adam. Um. I only put so, my fear into the players that I'm really excited about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure that's you guys fair. are sort of the same. <laughs> Who else at GA Cup were you particularly watching or, or thinking about? Kobe, man. Kobe Hernandez Foster. Kid is mm-hmm. a monster. You mentioned Why? him in what, your best. What parts of his game? Well, I just love the way he combines, uh, mm-hmm. first of all. Like in, he can like tiki-taka through, mm-hmm. through anybody's flank. I mean, I even saw it in his one USL appearance earlier this year. He's just a great passer of the ball. He hits, mm-hmm. um, he hits a I think he's better in the attacking third than Bello is, you know, like he hits a better cross and um, probably you know makes a line better that decisions. I like, you always say I like passers. Like I trust passers. Um, I totally agree with that. I'll, I'll even get a little bit more refined and say, I like players who are comfortable with, uh, who are just comfortable on a soccer ball. Yeah. Right. Like when the ball is on their foot, they, they know where it is without looking. They're not frazzled. They don't get you know put off by people closing them down. And Kobe has that. Kobe is a natural player with the ball at his feet. And even one up it, he also sees the game in a natural way. Like he clearly already has synthesized the pictures in his head more than really anybody else his age and already at an impressive level. So I'm with you. When you you see Kobe live, it it reinforces what you see on TV. Does it? Yeah. What do you guys think about his defending? Because I've always been impressed by it. Even I'm mean, even at center back for the U17s, which is like likely where he's going to play at the Concacaf Championship next week. Which kind of kills me still. I know but... it bugs me too. <laughs> but whatever. Do you have thoughts on his defending, David? I don't. Yeah, I just think he. Um, in all the times I saw him, including against West Ham, where they had some pretty good players that could attack you one v one, he seems really comfortable in his starting position of like where where to break where where to lock in and where to start defending. And he is an off-the-chart athlete, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You just have to understand how you're using it, and I think he does. Mm-hmm. I think he knows that mm-hmm. if you're going to try and take him, if you're going to try and put it around him, he can use his body to hold you off, and then he's going to beat you to the ball. Right. And all of those things that he uses his body for, I think he does correctly. Yeah. So, And he's an off-the-chart athlete that's going to continue to be one. This isn't like he's the biggest kid at U15s or U17s. Like This is someone who – his one of his top two or three attributes is going to be his athleticism his entire career. Right. To, to add to something about Kobe, and it goes back to what I said earlier, and I'll talk about Doyle who tweeted that Kobe could start right now for the Galaxy. My only one caveat about all things defending is that it, they are not profe- – U17 is definitely not professional. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that Like you would ask me on Twitter, how did Leone look for – U15 is a different sport than U17, and U17 is a different sport than professional. So I really like Kobe, but especially with his defending, it's just like hard to know where, well, where he, he's at. But, but are you talking about on the ball or off the ball? Both. 
Oh, really? Dude, like there's nothing like having my my story is like you think you can defend and then you have Fabian Castillo. That was my like, oh, my God, this is the real world moment. Like you think you can defend until it's Albert Elise running at you instead of Jaden Nelson. Jaden Nelson, great 16-year-old. He's not Albert Elise. Right. Right? In any way possible. Not to mention all the details of holding your line, being able to have your hips open on the back post, all those little things. So Kobe, a lot of good things. But when it, when it comes to talking about his defending, I just don't know how to make sense of what I see with 16-year-olds and how that would translate or how prepared he is for the next level. He he had He was at least partially culpable for two goals in that one USL appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, be and it wasn't like his one v one defending. It was just like kind of switching off for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I'm not sure he's ready to start for mm-hmm. the Galaxy first team mm-hmm. yet. But I don't think he's too far off. I guess is how I look at it. You know what? You know what? Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. No, no. Go ahead. Say, you know what? Young center backs and also outside backs is they they watch the ball, which is you know people watch the ball, but they lose their line when they watch the ball. So. You know, if the ball is on the right side, they just for two seconds only think about the ball and they lose their line. So they end up two yards behind the other one. Like that's the, that's the single most specific thing, whether it was, you know, at the Premier League level, you see these young players or at GA Cup or on MLS. That is like the big concern is they just they lose their line, which a holds people on side, but also decreases their ability to like squeeze space when they have to. So I would say when people are trying to evaluate a center back and whether he's ready to play for the professional team, it's that little thing is off the ball, can they hold that line with their other center back, which you know has a whole other list of side effects. Yeah. Well, is he gonna is he gonna do you guys know anything about his situation with the galaxy at the moment? Is that too controversial for this Twitch stream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably won't get into that. All right. We we've heard some things, but favorite. As you can guess with the Galaxy, they really like him. Clearly, they've not done a good job having players matriculate let through. That, hey, let me put that hat on for you, though, dude, real quick. What? Let me put that, yeah, let me put that. I'm just saying they like him. We know how much they like him and want him. And we know what's happened to all, basically, of the players except for Efra that they've liked over the last two years. So it's somewhere in between that space right there. There's but, also They also have a good French left back who's pretty young. Uh, Triore, age, right? Triore, yeah. Who's yeah. who's really good too, actually. I mean, and and he's the one who more. won the open tryout, I think. Yeah, scored a goal. Air <laughs> <laughs> quotes on that. Yeah. Uh, okay. He just so saw he did... just saw an ad in the newspaper in Paris, and he just For sure. what a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> we did Leva. We did Kobe. Who else did you want to? Did you have your eye on? Um, I have questions. I have a lot of questions now. All right, just bring uh, the questions. We'll throw in our other observations when they come. All right, kuda kuda Pietro. Yeah, How, is he really guy. good? Is he really good? I didn't I didn't get to watch him. He is a he again. It, we all have preferences on things we like to look for. He fits my preferences because he is a naturally all around comfortable soccer player. He is comfortable receiving the ball. He doesn't checks his shoulders. He's you know good awareness around him. He tries to move the ball fairly quick. He doesn't overplay. I know we got on the highlight reel a couple times where some sick goals with step overs and a Maradona, but that's not his game. It's receive the ball, pass, move again. I think he's pretty two-footed as well. Yeah, he's two-footed. But you go back to the original question, does he have – I don't know. Like you have, a, you have I always come back to this part. There's a lot of things I like. 
professional soccer players are really stinking good. Professional soccer players on the world stage of where American soccer and Canadian soccer want to get to are really freaking good. So even though I think Kuda Pietra is good in a lot of ways, is he as good as them as an attacker? I don't know. And I know that's like a lame way to talk about a player, but I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, it's kind of the answer I expected. If 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 you had come out and said like, "Yo, check this kid out," then I would, then I would have been surprised. Well, well do you? It's, so it sounded like the U.S. soccer guys we talked mm-hmm. about it. One of their questions was what his position was. So he's like, as you just described, good all around player has basically most of the instincts you want. Mm-hmm. But is he a center forward? Is he a ten? Does he play out on a wing? What's your setup? And I think part of the issue for that, all of that, is what? How does DC play? And I don't know. I think he's a really intelligent soccer player with high level of technical ability. And if he was in a system where he knew where his next passes should be and where the runners were, I think he would like we would have been talking about him more coming into this because of where he'd stand. But he doesn't really mm-hmm. with that team. And so I think that he's not a guy who's going to wow you at all times in any situation. So he needs a setup around him. And I don't know that he has that in D.C. Speaking of two footed players, what about Alfonso Acampo Chavez? I mean, that is a nice transition. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. He's do in his you, podcast zone right now. Do you, I know he scored a lot of goals, mm-hmm. but like I, we were talking about having a doubt about a player when you come in and watch him. At least I was talking about that. Uh, my doubt about him is can he, can he dig out possession in a tough spot and hold onto the ball and find somebody's feet? Or is he just going to like, you know, sort of be running himself ragged up there? trying to find the ball all night. It's I'm a big of... believer. It's a really good question. Go ahead. You're a big believer. No, I'm sorry. That's a really good question. I'm a big believer that if you go back throughout history, and this is going to get a lot of people angry as they listen to this, that there's just a list of strikers who are bad at soccer, right? They like phenomenal strikers, but just like bad general soccer players. Fernando Torres, David Villa, when he was on like Barcelona on the top teams, Didier Drogba, where if you put them in a possession game, nobody would want them on their team. They just they couldn't play out of tight spots. They would mess up their link passes. But when you put them in the spot to score a goal, they were incredible. The question is, and I think you can be that type of striker. The question is, can you still do that? Can you still be the type of number nine who runs the lines, who is good around goal, who can beat that final player 1v1 without linking up in the middle of the field? And there are there enough teams that still want that? But I love the conversation of does a center striker have enough ability passing and keeping possession? Because largely throughout the last two decades, it didn't matter as long as you're really good at the other things. Hmm. So you're yeah. saying so you're saying ALC's good at the other things for sure. Uh, it might yes. not matter if he's good at the yeah at the possession part. I mean, do you think Raul Ruiz Diaz is good at possession? Like, would you want him on your team in a possession game, or like, do you feel comfortable linking with him at midfield? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I get the point. Yeah. I mean, he, I feel Jesse, like he's probably better than Jesse Zardes is like 100 MLS goals, doesn't he? Or 50 MLS yeah. goals, whatever he has. Ocampo Chavez will score goals wherever he is, and he will be a guy who will be offside five times a game, and then will score on the sixth one because he's going to run the back of that line, which, as you're saying, isn't what a lot of center forwards are doing right now in the world. But if he scores, no one's going to care. And no, he might not be playing for a top four team in a top four league, but there's a place in this world. I mean, look at Chicharito. I wouldn't use Chicharito to link up any play, but the guy has started for, for take out the Man U part, a top 10 team in the top two leagues, mm-hmm. and he's a star for Mexico. 
And I think Ocampo Chavez, the thing that he does on top of all of that is, I think he's actually a little, he, I hope he will be, but right now he's a little bit better setting up his own shot if he doesn't get it around the 18. He doesn't need it around the 18. He's not going to drop back, pick up the ball and create. Mm. But if you play him out to one of the wings, he can beat his guy and get to his shot on either foot. He does a really good job of sweeping the ball across the defender and then getting his body between the defender and the man. And he's lanky enough to just get that touch around. So he has more pieces to his game than just finishing what other people have created, which is his number one attribute. Now, this is a real compliment for me, but I honestly can't tell which one is his dominant foot. Which one is it? Do you guys know? No, I, I don't. don't. I, don't yeah. I used to think he was left-footed. I thought he was a lefty too going into it, and then he did everything with his right foot. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Here's my. Did you see Josh Sargent play for the DA? I didn't because I had only seen no. the MLS academies. I didn't. I was like, no. Like, how dominant was Josh Sargent at 17? That's an answer. I, that's a question I should have an answer to. Well, as a 17 year old, he won the Golden Boot in 17 qualifying, and then went straight to a U20 World Cup. Um, but at the U20 World Cup, he was pretty good in the holdup, I thought, until yeah. until we faced Venezuela and got absolutely murdered in that game. Yeah. But he was but he was in a run-the-last-line guy. He's <laughs> dropped deep, picked up the ball, and wants to create, which is why I'm excited about him for the national team. But they're, they're different players. Mm-hmm. Ocampo Chavez is a run-off-the-last-shoulder type guy and finish those opportunities. So, you, which, so guys, yeah. you think he could be pretty good on the wing for the – for, you know, I guess for any team, but I'm thinking particularly of the U-17s? I don't know if I'd put him there because I don't know, like, how much he helps you play out of pressure or can come pinch in field and, like, connect with other midfielders. Um, I think right now I'd play him as a center forward. It's just a little different in, like, Pepe you have to set up in the box. I don't think Pepe does a lot outside of the 18. Ricardo Pepe, for anyone, FC Dallas was a stud for the mm-hmm. USU 17s last year or beginning of this year, whatever that was. Nike friendlies. He was real good. Nike friendlies. Yeah. I don't think he does a lot outside the 18. I think Ocampo Chavez doesn't do a lot for his teammates, but I think he can create his own shot better. And so depending on who you're playing, like if I had no possession, I would want Ocampo Chavez on the field to counter through because if I played him and he was one V two, I think he could still get opportunities. Mm-hmm. If I had a ton of possession, and I was just looking for someone to finish off crosses and cutbacks and pullbacks and whatever else, I would look at Pep. So that's how I see the two different. I wouldn't play Ocampo Chavez outside. See, I, maybe I'm, I'm, we're thinking about this a little bit differently because I think of Pepe as very, very good at linking up and combining. Um, he, I mean, he looked good in USL at that, and he looked good in the Nike friendlies at that. Like coming back to the ball, taking a quick touch, and like finding a pass that isn't immediately apparent. You know, That's what... That's what I. That's what makes me the most excited about Pepe. Yeah, I thought he was good at that in the Nike friendly. So I think maybe it's affected by the talent around him and so like he, his role. So he wasn't good team. at that at the GA Cup, really. I think he struggled. I only watched him for about a game, game and a half, two games. I didn't see his full tournament. I think he struggled with that. But it may also be you come down from the USL team. You're supposed to be the man. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be the star. You can't just lay it off and continue. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to create more, and maybe he was doing too much for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought he struggled at that in the tournament, which I was, I was surprised by. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. I didn't see that. I'm learning but stuff saw, here. Nice. But you saw him more than me. I don't actually have any strong opinions on Pepe. Yeah. Which I think is a negative for the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> Cause coming in, he was the number one guy basically. He wasn't, besides bad. He wasn't bad, just, but he wasn't great. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of opinions on things, David, when I don't, sure. I just try and for I sure. take it as I take it as a negative opinion when you don't have an opinion, Bobby. Right? 
I wouldn't have said that, but I'm gonna. But you're not far off. <laughs> um, what do you think of the other two DC guys, Adam and Nine, Moises Nyman and Brian Kea? So I, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch any of their games, unfortunately. Uh, I've, I've, I've always been excited about Nyman. Um, I watched him last year in GA Cup against mm-hmm. Eintracht Frankfurt and was very impressed. Was I, I gather from your best 11 list that he, he didn't have a great tournament? Is that about Well, he got hurt, so he didn't play a ton. Yeah. yeah. He got hurt again? Yeah. Yeah. Man, he can't stay healthy. No. Uh, but this was his first event back from the major injury. So, you know, there's always going to be some wear and tear. Yeah. Yeah, Nyman definitely has something. Ko has. Yeah, tell me about it, tell me about Ko. Is it too much to say, David, that he has the most talent of everyone? That you could just see when someone plays that they have an ability to take over a game. And in the games that we saw, he had that. That he has the. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say anyone because Leva's in there, but yeah, that's fine. No, no but even Ko more because Leva influences a game right which i think is an important distinction leva always influences a game which you can't say about most teenagers you never have been they come in and out of games leva has the most consistent influence ko might have the most ability to dominate a game and partially part of it comes down to his his power and his just general build which is you know more developed than other you know 15 16 17 year olds mm-hmm. but he also just has a, an ability on the ball a, a, a sense of how to glide past players a sense of how to pay, play certain passes um, with that is that, yeah, like his body shape isn't great. His awareness isn't great, but he might have to me in that of all the players we saw, like the most just talent and ability to dominate, you know, a 20 minute segment. Huh. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. And one of the things about him, which is different than some of the guys coming through the U.S. system, like Weston, like Tyler's, <laughs> I think he looked more comfortable with his game, his back turned to the game. So, like, he could play farther up the field because when he comes back to pick it up, mm-hmm. he seems to have a good understanding of what's going on behind him. A lot of these guys, you feel like they're only at their best when everything's in front of them. And they receive the ball seeing the entire field. And he looked comfortable either coming back to pick it up or turning and playing into space. And that's one of the things that was exciting about him because he looks like he can play higher up the field comfortably than a lot of the other guys we talk about mm-hmm. in the U.S. pool who are mainly sixes or eights, but mm-hmm. eights that want to push forward every time they pick up the ball. So he was definitely exciting from what we saw. Huh. And he got the call-up from Raphael Wicke for the for the CONCACAF qualifiers. That's a big vote of confidence. At, Adam, who are you low-key excited about in the youth sphere? It doesn't even have to just be within this age group. Is there somebody that you – are excited about, but maybe don't say out loud or you aren't <laughs> sure about? I mean, I say most of it out loud, to be honest with you. Um, I guess, I don't know if it's low key, counts as low-key, but I I really liked what I've seen from Cameron Dunbar. It's not yeah. low-key. A lot of people are excited about him. It's a terrible yeah. answer to the question. but um, I, was I was more excited by him, though, than I expected, because I thought he was a guy who was the best player at this age. Like, he was a guy who scored goals and was good because they're 17 year olds and he's mm-hmm. good. And then when I watched him play, I saw a lot of transferable things. Like he's a really good passer. He's got a clean touch. Like the, all the things you said about Kobe, I think a lot of them are true because yeah. he plays on that wing with Dunbar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and Dunbar also has speed, like actual speed. And um, I was I was really surprised that he wasn't. I know I keep bringing it back to the U seventeen mm-hmm. World Cup qualifiers, but I was really surprised that he wasn't called up for that. And um, you know, some other people were Jack DeVries in particular. Yeah. <laughs> I, I does that is that a okay answer to your question, Bobby? Yeah, that's fair. What, I was I, hoping, you know, I always hope there's something a little bit more outside the box, but I'm yeah. certainly okay with that. Let me let me keep thinking about it while we're talking, but I got a question for you guys. Uh, okay. Nico Carrera, how good is mm-hmm. he? He's awesome. He's, I think, the best center back I've seen for Dallas. Which, Ever. like, they, in the five years I've Get been, out of your hedges. No, 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 at the youth level. Okay. Just, but, like, every time... FC Dallas has a few things that like they always bring. And one of them is like a vocal leader at center back. Who's a good player who like for Lucci and now um, Mati, like they build their teams through and Carrera's the best one that I've seen in terms of vocal leadership, keeping his line clean. So he played next to Justin Che in this tournament, Mm -hmm. who was the youngest player on their team and just converted to center back from center forward. So he basically had the entire responsibility of keeping him connected to the game, keeping him in line, keeping him comfortable, all those things, which he did, on top of which he can win his own tackles Mm -hmm. and he can step into midfield. Mm -hmm. And he steps into midfield and he can beat a player. He can move the ball around the field to change the point of attack. And a few times he steps in and reads the game well enough to stay in to counterpress if they turn it Mm -hmm. over. And it's all this stuff where... When I talked to Lucci about him before one of the games, because Lucci was hanging around, he was like, no, no, no. I said that to him. I was like, you guys always have a center back. And he's like, no, we know this guy's different. Um, and I, I'm pretty high on him. I don't think he has a U.S. passport. He I doesn't. don't know about that. He, does he doesn't. Yeah. Working on it. Um, but he's been here for a while. Yeah. Um, and apparently he's a fantastic student, so he might go the college route to start. But he's definitely a guy who you can see in Dallas playing professionally. And Dallas usually has a powerful center back. Mm-hmm. They like their the last three or four or five years. It's been like a strong someone that can deal with the. Was intensity. it Nathan Toledo for a year or two? Is that name right, Adam? Do you uh, know? I don't know that name. Yeah, sorry. Okay, that's fine. No, no, you're good. Continue. But anyway, and it's also my flip side of this. You, they always have something that can defend well. I've never been able to judge their passing ability because they play with the youth team the same way the first team does, or you know, Luigi always has, where the center midfielders get it off the center backs in a simple way. They check back. There's always an easy option. Any of the three of them can do it. So I've never seen any of Luigi's center backs. A little bit like you see now. You don't see Rito Ziegler breaking the lines a ton on his own. They really do get to the three center midfielders and allow them to rotate from there. So I have a tough time judging FC Dallas center backs at the youth level. Hmm. I'm I'm interested in Carrera because you know if he can get that citizenship, he fills a big need, and with the USU 17s, and then Kobe can move out to the left back, especially if you know if Atlanta sorts it out and they need George Bello in the fall. That'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a guy who I would be excited about mm-hmm. if he did play for the U.S., but from an FC Dallas point of view, like I would be super excited about him. And then the other one for me is Jonathan Gomez, FC Dallas' left back. I rated him super high coming out of the tournament. Everyone at FC Dallas rates him super high. Um, you know, can cover basically the entire sideline. Really high technical ability to be able to keep the ball 
to come in field and link up and also just hit beautiful crosses consistently. Um, and I, I put him in my top drawer article. It's like step for step with Kobe. That might be an overreaction. And it might just be because I was like so pleasantly surprised by his performance, but he's not far off. Um, and I thought Kobe was going to be in a stratosphere by himself. So I thought that was really impressive from Gomez. We're just becoming a left back factory, this country. Yeah, I'll take it. That would go into our history, as you said, the boomerang thing, Bobby, of overcorrecting. <laughs> of like, we could only develop right backs, so now everyone has to be a left back. And then in five years, we're going to say we have no right backs. But whatever. We'll find a German-American at that point. Who's your guys' favorite coaches to talk to at these things? Oh, this is the best part of the event. Nice. This is by far, this is my favorite week of the year because these, it's mostly men. These dudes love soccer. You know, you can try and talk to them about like movies or books, but their faces light up like all of ours do when soccer comes up. But that's what they would rather talk about. And I, I would say, I mean, truth be told, if you get 10 minutes with any of them, they can all say the right things. I mean, they've all been through enough coaching courses. They've all done enough of these things that if you were to spend 10 minutes, you'd be roughly, you'd be pretty impressed with all of them. Okay. Yeah. Our was favorites. That, was that your diplomat? Yeah. Just why are you not going to save people? Well, our favorites are that we call more of the championship games. So yeah, we naturally right. spend more time with Rodrigo Marion of NYCFC, who we both think is awesome. Uh, Andrew May of the Galaxy. Um, Matias, it used to be Lucci. Now it's Matias Asori for FC yeah. Dallas, who grew up with Lucci. Right. Um, who's like the opposite. Like Lucci's like fire and in your face, and Matias is like Argentine laid back. Right. Um, but I don't but think the team bald. But so. I, I don't know. I think it's a fair answer to say, like, who do you enjoy talking to? You would have to find a really, really bad academy coach that can't go 10 minutes talking about certain detail you know yeah so i don't think i don't think you would be unimpressed by really anyone over the 10 or 15 minutes you know some we got a few hours especially with all the events and you start to talk to some people more but and, and you see like in this setup now it's changing from just like i'm a youth coach to like i'm an academy director like i'm not right. on the field talking tactics or technique but it's bigger picture stuff and i think the future of all of this and the next big step is scouting and so there are full-time scouts now and you're becoming more youth scouts. And that's a whole different conversation. The way they discuss the game is, you know, the, the clips they see when they get guys and how they're looking at them. And then you have coaches who talk about tactics and how they can change players and how can, they can develop players. So it's like you're starting to have all these different conversations. Um, and obviously all of the coaches are scouts right now. But hopefully over the next five, ten years, that's the biggest change is there are a lot of added just pure pro scouts because i think that's what seattle's big thing for this class was going out and finding the best players yeah and it's not as simple as we think um but yeah the guys bobby said are all like fantastic to talk to and that's when you're talking to them is i was maybe one of the other things that makes me excited is like the con the soccer conversations that coaches are able to have with players football com football conversations guys nice. thanks bob appreciate that bob Brown. um and I think that's one of the most exciting parts. And it's not just like, oh, the best coaches from France and England are now living here in the U.S. It's like Americans and Canadians and Mexicans and, you know, Central Americans and South Americans who are, you know, through the U.S. and Canadian soccer pipeline 
that are more intelligent, that are getting to meet new coaches that are going out and like finding new things and becoming better coaches to add to this whole thing. So I will follow up with that because really what you were trying to get at in a low key way were who are the coaches that you think are good? And they're the same ones who are in the academies that I think are good from the start. Yeah. Basically what I said was the exact same thing. So the other thing too is that, yeah, you're not, these guys are really good at talking the game. Where I really would judge them, and I feel like I got the most, is not just watching their teams, because you know that's a little bit on their scouting networks and the player pool in their area or whatever it is. But I love watching warm-up. And I feel like I can tell you a lot, not necessarily about the team, but about the coach and the warm-up that they run and how the kids do attention to detail in that warm-up. And I would say I was very unhappy (laughs) watching some of the teams, you know, they're in their passing pattern, right? Whether it is a Dutch square, whether it's some kind of, of up back through passing lanes, uh, short, short, long, things like that. And if I see kids like with the wrong spin on the ball, if they're bouncing it, if their body language is wrong, I'm just thinking to myself, like, why are these owners making this investment? Why are these kids showing up four days a week? Why the heck is Adidas paying for these kids to come if they don't even like can't do three minutes of a passing pattern the right way. And I know it's just warm up, but like that to me is indicative of the culture you've built. Um, so that was when I really tried to figure out, um, who were the good coaches and who were just saying the right things that they learned at coaching symposiums. And you want to name and shame a little bit or, or what? No, I'm not, but I think, I know I, I, I'm not going to name and shame, but I think that the things you see in training are the things that matter in games. And yeah. when you go out on the field, because there's a conversation we had yesterday in our office based off the Bob Bradley comments and the Paul Tenorio piece about being able to go watch quality soccer. And there should be more quality games when you sit down and watch two teams in USSDA and USL and MLS and all those things is when you're at this tournament where there's eight soccer games going on at the same time. You can clearly see when a team has an idea and when a team doesn't. And you can watch games. I think you called it a training exercise yeah. before. Like when you watch games, the ball's just floating and you just see them going up for 50-50s consistently. And you just don't see like shape to the players in terms of like when they pick up the ball, where they want to go and the aggression that they play with in possession, out of possession. And then you go and watch a different game and you go and watch NYCFC yeah. and you go and watch Seattle and it's like night and day. Yeah. And that's where you start to realize from the coaching, like they're giving creative. I think they're giving space for players to be creative. Whoa, but they're let's, giving, nice. let's watch it with the C word, bro. Let's watch it with the C word. <laughs> but, but I think they're just, the messaging is just on a different level and it's being understood by but, these players. Actually, no, let's do them. the C word. Let's do the C word. I have two things to add to this too. Okay. So one, coaches, undoubtedly a direct correlation between cliches and like the, the how your team does, mm-hmm. right? The more times that like you hear a coach say press or go or move it or calm down. Like the more times you hear cliche words, they're probably like not – their teams aren't doing great. But two, like let's talk about this creativity thing. And this is my own personal preference. So anybody listening to this, I might be wrong. But I'm a big believer that like youth players, this idea that we need to give them creativity is wrong. Like what is creativity? Creativity is finding your way out of something. Why don't we, instead of being like, hey, let's give you creativity or license for creativity, why don't we give them answers? Why don't we give them ways to think about the game so that they don't need creativity, so that they don't get themselves into problems? Because that's all you're doing, right? It's like, be creative. Well, actually, 
you should already have an answer. When you're in a pocket, when they squeeze you in a certain spot, when you're under pressure, you shouldn't need creativity. Your brain should have already checked your shoulders, been aware of what's around you, and you should know at every given moment in the field what your two or three or four options to get out of that are, and you can run through that checklist, right? There are there are spaces on the field that you should be creative in the idea of, do I play a little looped ball in behind? Do I take them 1v1? But even still, like that is also a checklist you revert to. So I think, and this comes to my point I've used a lot on like whether it's podcasts or shows, Nike and Adidas ran these, ran commercials about like this beautiful game and everyone says creativity, creativity, creativity. Like how many times has Eden Hazard, Leo Messi, uh, you know, Kevin DeBruna, David Silva, how often did they do quote unquote creative things? They don't because their minds are like friggin' computers in there when it comes to soccer and solving problems before they even arise. When you create a game plan and a philosophy of how you're going to play, Bobby, and I watch that, and then I create a game plan of how to stop it, at some point someone has to do something different to change yeah, the arc that, of the game. Yeah, but that's rehearsed, but that's pre-rehearsed. But, but if it's pre-rehearsed, at some point I know it's coming because you can't pre-rehearse 5,000 things. Lionel Messi. These kids train four days a week. For sure. These kids literally train as much as professionals. But fights. Lionel, no, no, I'm not talking about these kids. I'm talking about pro level as well. Lionel mm -hmm. Messi can change the game because he has the highest technical ability in the world mm -hmm. and he has speed to go along with it. So creativity is different, mm -hmm. but it's just at some point someone has to change the game. At some point someone has to make a pass that no one else expects in that moment or someone has to skip a line or someone has to beat someone one-on-one. -on -one. At some point, 11 on 11, something has to Nowhere change. Nowhere in that does the word creativity matter. You Understood. need to be able to execute at a higher Understood. level. Understood. Sometimes the place you create creativity is how you decide to beat that player. And giving space for players to make different decisions. And yeah, okay. giving someone eight options and then being surprised by the one they choose is fine. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But and, and I think you chose to go into problem solving in dangerous situations as creative when I would argue what a coach is trying to do is I'm going to create a scenario where I can get you one on one on the edge of the box. You now have the ability in your own soccer belief and understanding how to beat that guy in that situation. I'm not telling you exactly how to beat that guy. It's not two step overs to the left foot every single time. I would. I am telling them. That. Yeah, that's fair. I think that that's wrong. And that's the space where you're giving creativity because we've talked about this a thousand times. At some point, you have to have emotion in the game. And if you take that out of the players, then they won't have a passion to do what they're doing. I, I, I don't understand it. When you watch Manchester City, like where is the creativity in that game plan? That, that is a clicking talk machine. But it's the it's 12 of the 70 best players in the world being sure, paid an obscene amount of money to do something to perfection. To execute, it's the right. number one team in the world at doing that. Mm -hmm. Not everyone else can do that, even if you'd like it to be okay. the case. Okay. Adam, so thanks for giving the space to do this, man. Yeah. Yeah. If we could do you this on extra time, we would have a conniption. Um, yeah, I just wonder if like Raheem Sterling even is – is he running through a checklist when he's coming down the wing facing somebody one-on-one? -on -one? Or is it basically like he's thinking, I can get to the end line and pull it back? Or if if I, if I he takes that away, then I'm just going to come inside and try to and do something different. No, they have, they have rehearsed patterns. When they get the ball on every spot on the field, they have ideas on what they are supposed to do. David's right. At some point, at some point, that checklist is beat that player. And you can have a little bit of creativity and variation in that. But like when Raheem Sterling gets the ball at the corner of the 18, he faces somebody up. He knows the three things that, that could happen in that moment. And then Sergio Aguero knows and David Silva knows. And they can then act in accordance. But like there's nothing creative about what Raheem Sterling does. And you're right. Maybe it matters. Maybe you have to have a, little bit a certain quality of player in that. And that's a fair point.
Um, do you guys want to talk about any more players, or should we just wrap it up? Let me see if I have so anyone that sticks out. You wanted to talk U15. I don't love talking U15 okay, because let's skip they're it. just like – they're just like too young. If you really want to, we can certainly answer questions and go over it. Can I throw some of the names out that I put down in my stuff that I just want to give like a little cred because of the way they played? So yeah. I for sure want to talk about Mauricio Cuevas just for a second for the Galaxy. They're right back. Were you impressed? And say Cuevas, yeah. Did I say the name wrong? No, no that's I asked, right, right. I asked if you were impressed by him. Oh, yeah. I really liked what he did. Um, he like looks like he weighs 40 pounds, but he's got speed. He, similar to Kobe, like understands when to come forward, when not to, and is really comfortable on the ball for a fullback that he can come in field, pick up the ball, interchange with players. He also, in the game against West Ham, went up against what I thought was the most athletic winger in the tournament from West Ham and Josh Wilson-Esbrand, who's like a U- England U-17, who beat um, FC Dallas basically by himself. And he was with him step for step. And I think he read the game early. And he knew the threat, but he still was consistent mentally in reading the game early to not get caught out and have to recover at any moment. So I was really impressed by him um, and for Cranus, who played next to him, who's also an 0-3. Mm-hmm. So those are guys who I think are going to be good over the next few. Um, Joe Suchecki from NYCFC, who was their deep six, but probably could be an eight high level um, technical ability as well in tight space. It seemed like NYCFC plays into a pocket and then has him hit that big switch, which probably drives you nuts, but I'll ignore that. He also missed the penalty against River, which would have changed their tournament, and just came right back down the field and demanded the ball and just had his team play through him again. And that's one of the things you don't see a lot at this tournament is, like, kids fall apart. Kids get uncomfortable. Kids are unhappy. And, like, they kind of just, like, fade out of the game. And he was central to what they did. And I don't think he, they had the players around him because of Andre Jassen, like being with their da- FC uh, Dallas Cup team. But uh, I, that was like a really impressive performance for me as well. Mm-hmm. So those are some guys I want to you point spell out. His, how do you spell his name? Suchecki. Okay. So it's S-U-C-H-E-C-K-I. It's like Polish, I yeah. assume. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I wanted to add in... Who was the other one that I was about to say? Oh, Danny Flores is my guy. Yeah. I can't believe he took you 61 minutes with the Danny Flores. He's like my Christian Roldan. He's a gamer. And I think he has has good enough feet to play around the midfield. Mm -hmm. But I think this Philly Union Academy team was kind of a mess because of the change in structure and, like, guys figuring out where they fit in that and not having their full complement of guys. Also having guys like Dante Huckabee who doesn't play with them week in and week Mm -hmm. out at this level who – I don't think really fit in perfectly going into tournament, but he just like through sheer will or through quality consistently kept them in games or changed the game just by like winning two tackles on the counter press in midfield mm-hmm. and keeping the attack alive or just having the quality to play the right through ball to like stem an attack when they're just defending to like make the team feel better and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I was super high on him. I don't know if he's a six or an eight or a shuttler on in their diamond. I don't know how that works, but he was a guy that I'm I'm going to keep an eye on over the next few years to see like what he does with Bethlehem and how how the rest of that club sees him. Big Danny Flores guy over yeah. here. Okay, Huge all right, Flores. noted. Two, I got two more Sounders guys I want to ask about, and one we already mm-hmm. talked about a little bit. But do you guys think Atencio can make the transition to center back? He yeah. looked he looked okay in the in the final, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna 
So I'm not definitely not going to rule it out. I'm definitely not going to put my house on it either way. Josh Atencio is a really, really good soccer player. Uh, I agree. He's not. What's that? I agree. Yeah. I and really, I, I really I like the way he passes. Comes, yeah. I think it largely comes down to your assessment of youth players and how they project on whether you want someone who is just comfortable with the ball, reads the game, just a kind of a generally good soccer player versus you need to see certain factors. You need a certain level of competitiveness, a certain amount of athleticism, a certain flair. And I know some people are the B because you, you have that special trait. You can teach general good soccering. Um, and other people say, just give me a good soccer player and we'll kind of add on to that as a base. Atencio is just a very good soccer player. Like I said, I had concerns about his ability to, to move in the middle of the field. I have less of those concerns at center back, but he's clearly still learning the position. Um, so that was my long-winded way of saying, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you became a good pro. I wouldn't be surprised if he turned out to be, you know, just a college soccer player. Okay. But that's was, true about all of these, right? Yeah, like, yeah. 100%. I don't. That's that's true about all of these. Yeah. But he's he's definitely a it's very very good. He's a very it's good just player. It's funny when you say it that it like feels like a dig. Yeah, I hope it's not. He's a very good player. I would say if you were to take the checklist of things you want from your center backs, I think he has a few of them already. Mm-hmm. So I think all of us would say like number one is ability to win a huge tackle mm-hmm. if you're the last man. Number two is like communicating and controlling your back line. And number three at this point is probably playing out of pressure. I think he already does two of those really well. The middle one, ability to communicate and control your back line. One, if he's new to the position, and two, he's only 17 years old. Mm-hmm. But he won every tackle mm-hmm. when someone broke through and it had to be one, yeah. which isn't something I think everyone transferring a center back already does because the understanding of, like, I can't lose this tackle and I'm either going to foul him or win it is something that not everyone around the field has already. Mm-hmm. And he did that really well, and I trust his feet to play out of pressure, and mm-hmm. I actually think he could be a tool – playing out of pressure because you don't have to drop as many midfielders in to play through him. Yeah. So all of those things I think he's really high on and all the other things are the most of the other things with him come into the box of he's never played this position before. So he's that's pretty good. At, really promising. My, he's pretty good in the plus. air too. Very. Yeah, he is, especially on end set pieces too, both yeah. defensively and right. attacking. I guess one question, which is like a larger topic and I have this list of things that I'm not sure how much they matter in scouting a youth player. And I kind of have this running list and hoping I form an opinion. But he's not naturally alert. You know, he's not this guy where you see some of the center backs uh, who are just naturally always aware. They're always communicating. Attend to you, isn't that? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, uh, he's not aloof, but he's not naturally alert. And I don't know if that's something you learn at 18 or 19 or if it's one of those base things for a center back you have to have. I don't know if he's personality-wise like an alpha. Yeah, that's, which goes that's to a fair that. way to yeah. another. But um, there's a partnership at center back, right? You can have one and not have it. I think we've seen, mm-hmm. like, even at the highest level, right? We talk about, like, Drew Moore and his value. And his value is, like, he's the communicator yeah. on a back line. But that's of all guys who are high-paid professionals. Right. Like, Steve Birnbaum's another guy we talk about in that conversation of, like, his best has been with Boswell because Boswell does right. the things he doesn't do well. Chad Marshall might not be naturally alert. So. <laughs> hey, he went to Stanford. Is, is Carrera is Carrera an alpha? Yes. Yeah, he is. hundred yeah. percent. Carrera, like Adam Lingard, another of the top center backs. Kobe is like naturally alert, kind of always always, you know, noticing things around him. Yeah. Okay. What about D- Ethan Dabalaire? I know I thought you oh. explained what was good about him well, Goss. One of like, my guys. 
He's got that like sh- he's got that shiftiness. I like the word resourcefulness. Yeah. And but like, is he really good or is he just? I don't know. I think when you watch him play, he's a guy you think's going to be straightforward, and he's not. And I think that helps a lot of his game um, because you don't expect it. And the way in which he changes the game is a little bit unorthodox Mm -hmm. at times. Like the way he uses his body to create space, it's not like a natural step over. It's more of like a shimmy on the wing and you don't really know which way he's going. Big shimmy guy. Yeah. A little hesitation or something. Yeah. 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 And just like a step that you don't expect here or a slowing down and accelerating at a moment you don't expect as well. Wait, 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 wait. Who's the big shimmy guy? Is it Dabalera or Goss? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's Bobby over here. No, Goss is Bobby and his crew neck is a big shimmy guy. <laughs> but I'll just say I think this role fit him really well, which is kind of the third or fourth guy in the attack. Like understanding – because to me, if I'm a player who plays with good players, I'm going to be aggressive when I get the ball because everyone has shifted to the other players. So understanding those moments of just like where to take advantage. I think Mike McGee was one of the best at this in MLS. Because Keane and Beckham and Donovan took so much attention that he had moments where he knew if he was aggressive when he first got the ball or aggressive with the run off the ball, he was going to be open because no one could double him and the, the team wasn't focused on him. So I think Double Air did a lot of those things really well. I think he had a high technical ability. He also like battles. And if you're going to be a guy who's out on the wing, you got to help defensively. Like you have to be there if Robles and Serrano or Campo Chavez isn't going to do those things at times because they're putting more effort in on the attacking side. So I thought he did all those things well. Mm -hmm. To Bobby's original comment of like, is he a college soccer player? Is he a pro? I don't know. But I think he's a guy who's, if he's in a comfortable system, can be a strong professional soccer player. Okay. Is that a good answer for you? Yeah, it's a good answer for me. I was ple- I was pleasantly surprised with by him for sure. What about um, Johnny Perez? Same position, Jonathan Perez, the winger for the Galaxy. Yeah, I, I had um, heard a, a lot of good things about him, but I I I caught that West Ham game and I didn't I didn't see anything that really stuck out. Yeah, he had a few he had a few moments in that game. The way their coach described him was he was the best technical player on the team. But his body isn't there yet to like fight around guys, battle for position, or even beat guys, even when he has them because of his athleticism. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that seems like it could be just age stuff. Like he's just a skinny kid, um, and he still needs to grow into mm-hmm. some of it. But he's—that's how the Galaxy described him was the arguably the best technical player in their academy right now. Um, and you saw that in moments, like he had a few in, in the West Ham game. And he had a few in the Penarol game where it was like you could see how he can change the game with his feet and like change the game with his soccer ability. And if he had like a burst to then blow through that hole, he would have like opened everything up and he would have been the star of the game. So he's a guy that I wouldn't be out on at all. Like from coming out of this tournament, I still understand those things. And I think he could be really good, like really, really good in the future. The question is just how he builds out and like how he grows. Cool. I'm not out on anybody. I'm not That's, out I was on literally anybody. just about to say that. Like, if there's something Austin Trusty shows us, who was like close to getting cut at 15, right? Yeah. From the story, from like the, I think I read that in an article. Um, not out on anybody. Good call. I was about to add that. I was, I was out on Ray Serrano until I saw how well yeah. he played in that final, and not just the goal. Like he, he was, uh, he was, he was stuck in. Like he got, 
he got some work done on that wing. Yeah, I'm not out on anybody except this one guy. <laughs> I, I'm saying I was out on him. Now I regret it. You know, I'm back in. Yeah, he battled. He Serrano out of the group stage, especially with Robles suspending against River. Like he wasn't flair and like creativity. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can get Bobby to jump off the balcony at some point. But uh, <laughs> but he battled like you said, and he did all the things where it's like, hey, if you're not going to dominate this game offensively, you got to bring this other stuff, and he did. Which shows you that at the worst he'll slot into a team and like be a good part of a team. Which is was something we've talked about, but coming out of this, like I think that the solid American players and the like eight through fourteens on your team hopefully will start being these academy kids for a lot of these MLS squads. And then some of them might be late bloomers that push into being stars, but I just think like you'll have a core of A local guys, B guys that are cheaper against the cap for MLS purposes, and also guys that understand like what you're trying to build as a team and hopefully if teams are good enough run, what your system is. We're you know, your question, Bobby, about like who am I low key excited about is almost impossible to answer because there's like nothing lower key than this. This like uh, this assembly of people talking about this topic, but I do wonder if like the if the league is as excited about you know are the are the GMs and the coaches around the league as excited about this as as you guys are. Um, I, and by this I mean the success sorry, of GA Cup. So, God, you're really you're going somewhere now. With this question, well, can we can you reframe for me the question here? I'm just basically are are people in the club as excited about you can yeah you can reframe it rephrase it. Um, like you guys are excited about the 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 GA Cup victory for Seattle and like the the way mm-hmm. the MLS Academy's performed. And I'm excited about it, and there are like you know seven or eight other people in America who are also excited, <laughs> but like. But like, what about the clubs? Like, what about the teams and yeah? The league? Okay, yeah. Are they? So I'm just gonna go big. I'm just gonna go big with this. And so one thing I think we've gotten wrong a little bit is this idea that young players play when they are good enough to play. You know, like if we make the the rest of the roster good, it's gonna push the young players to be good enough. And when they're good enough, they are going to be stars. And I look around the world and I say to myself. Who's good enough at 17 or 18? Like, who is legitimately better than the person you can get in the free market for probably a decent rate for the number of players that there are in the free market that is is really – how often does a young player beat that player out? You play young players because it's a business decision. And to me, there's three parts to that business decision. One, you actually can't afford like the slightly higher price of, of talent that you can trust is better. Right. And that's important to note because we've seen a lot of players come over for roughly what we could pay young domestic players. And they are potentially better and we're better in their home country or their home league. But when they have to move cultures, they get a, you know probably a slight pay raise. They're not as good. And you have to assume the risk. So the first part is that young players are actually just what you can afford given the risk you're willing to take. Number two is that your fans would rather watch young players, which is true for a lot of teams around the world. And number three is that you can't pay your bills unless you play and sell the young players. And not necessarily pay your bills, but you can't really compete. And I think that's what Atlanta did. I think Atlanta told a lot of people and LAFC told a lot of people that like, all right, if you really want to win MLS Cup, and granted it's really only been a year, so we're early on in this. And you know, if like if Dallas wins, maybe it changes the paradigm again. But Atlanta said, 
if you want to win MLS Cup, you have to spend this type of money. And a lot of teams said, yeah, I'm not going to go spend that type of money in this moment. But what I can do is I can generate that revenue in different ways. So instead of just upfront putting in the 25 million, if I can chip away and make 5 million here, 5 million there, then I can compete. So I think what's changed is the way that these people think about the business of their teams. And it's not necessarily that they're more excited that these players are better. Because again, I think there's a huge amount of debate on whether they are better at 16 or 17. But I think it's the mindset on how you run a club and where you are willing to put your assets compared to your risk. Does that okay. is that a fair answer? Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Did you have something say, to add? Yeah. I would just say to add to that, for us, it's exciting because if Garth Lagerway does something, everyone in MLS is going to notice because he's smart. And he decided to invest heavily in the academy and mm-hmm. build out the – like what happened at GA Cup and what's happening is Garth Lagerway's vision for the Seattle Sounders. And he hasn't been super vocal about it, I think, because he's trying to take every advantage he can mm-hmm. of being like no one else is thinking about this or investing in this properly. Right. And I'm going to talk about being a small spending team while I bring through like eight homegrown players and all of a sudden change the nature of my club and potentially the league around it. And this was like a little piece of like, I think this was a nice reward for that club to say like, hey, we are doing something. Like this is going in the right direction. Obviously winning GA Cup wasn't their goal, like winning MLS Cup with home runs is. But for all of us, it's exciting because every team in MLS saw what happened and they're like, oh, okay. Having like a staple of full-time scouts, having homestays for kids, like going out and finding these kids and pushing them into a USL team that has nothing to do with winning, just getting them opportunities. Like all of the things Seattle did are exciting because Garth Lagerway did them, who's one of the most successful Mm -hmm. in MLS, and every team is going to see that. But I just want to come back to – I want to tie these two things together Mm -hmm. because if you're not thinking about the dollars and cents of everything, like you're not – we're not really thinking about it. And why did Garth Lagerway – plan to put we don't and we don't know what the exact number is we'll say one million dollars why did he increase the which is the what, spend, it's way more than that but yeah why did he increase the spend in the academy by one million because here's what you have to remember the general spend on an mls academy is about two million dollars two million dollars gets you a decent designated player not to mention if you were to go if you were to go from a two million dollars designated player to a four million dollar that all of a sudden gets you like from the gamble into like a real hit on a dp so their opportunity cost on these things is huge and to me, it's not interesting that they spent the money on the academy and they increased the investment. It's what changed in the thinking up here on the way they run their club? How did these incentives get realigned that all of a sudden it's more worth it to try and get Danny Leva, Ocampo Chavez, and Josh Atencio rather than going out and getting Jesus Medina? That to me is the most interesting part. And the part that's like still coming together is how have the incentives of the business paradigm aligned with – youth development and and helping these young players progress well lagerway clearly decided that the business incentives lined up right i mean and if he's if he's seen as the you know the smartest guy in the room then and i just want to know why i'm curious as like why and we might not find out for a year or five years but you know like what part of their spreadsheets and whatever algorithms they're using um you know a lot of it's going to come a lot of that conversation when we find out is going to come down to demographics of just Seattle's a smaller city than Atlanta, L.A., all these other teams. And I don't think he, they were ever going to be able, able to outspend. All but the he first. does this. But like that doesn't matter. Like what matters to them are butts in the seats 
and and corporate suites. Like that is no, their- no, but Arthur Blank's going to make more money off Atlanta United because there's just more money to be made in Atlanta. Like he's going to get corporate sponsorship, all that stuff on a different level. No, it's not. Like I don't understand. It is. Okay, maybe. I don't have the exact number. It is. And also, he owns the stadium. So that's a different amount of money that you're pulling in when you play games. Now now we're getting. Yeah, now we're getting to another level. But, and I also think Garth Mm -hmm. knows that the homegrown territories are going to get dropped. And he's now set up in a place maybe that doesn't have the most young, great soccer players to bring in the best players from around the country the moment that ends. And that's going to change everything. Bobby's computer is about to die. Okay. So he's looking I thought maybe he was like grabbing beers or something. No, oh. that would be nice. It would be a nice red wine to close out Passover. We just get a little, little Chaim going over here. Um, I think Garth has set his team up to be ready for that. And he knows it's coming because he's been around the league so long and talks to everyone and probably sees where the league is going and knows his ownership and what they're pushing and whatnot. And I think they are set up maybe along RSL also, another club that he left. Just the facilities they put together are set up as well as anyone to just when it opens up to say, hey, the talent in the United States is in Canada is as good as anywhere else in the world. And we can produce world class players that we can sell. He also probably got a bonus in he came in when Yedlin got sold and some of that money has to go into your club facilities in some way. So he probably had a nice little like starting pot to say to Joe Roth and the ownership, Adrian Hanauer, like, look, I don't need you to hand me two point five million dollars because we already have whatever it is, 800,000 coming out of this Yedlin sale that we have to use anyway. Mm-hmm. I only need an extra one, 1. 1.2 to, to change this. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'd love to know what, like, the what like the most, the club in the world that sells the most players, what they actually make per year on, uh, you know, homegrown transfer fees. Yeah. Home. S- yeah, so that's a really great question. We could probably look it up on Transfer Market, couldn't we? Give it yeah, a but the question is, but I think in this question, you're asking how much do they spend to run an academy and all those things. Well, I mean, I guess that's that's an important part of it too. But I just love to know, like, how much does I don't know who? What's the best? What's the club with the best selling record in the world? Is it is it Ajax? Is it? That's a great question. So we saw a presentation from Dinamo Zagreb, and they said that Ajax has the most players across the top European leagues. Zagreb is second. And what's really interesting about Zagreb is I noted that if they don't sell, and this is true for most of the clubs you're going to think of in your brain as top youth developers, that if they don't sell, then they have to cut things off their budget. They force themselves by club rule to promote two players from the academy to the first team every single year. Hmm. And some all of so the the interesting, if we could find that list, we'll send it to you. But the top twenty, it was not. It was like Ajax and Dynamo Zagreb, but then it was like. Multiple Serbian clubs that I've never even heard of, mm-hmm. not just like Partisan, a few like Belgian clubs that are not mm-hmm. standardly aged, like smaller teams mm-hmm. um, that just continue to churn out players and push them in. And then you also have similar rules. Club Tijuana has a rule where every age group team has to have players from a younger age group play 1,300 minutes per year for them. Yeah. So the U-17s have to have 15s and 14-year-olds play at least 1,300 minutes. So they're constantly mm-hmm. forcing themselves to push younger players through. Yeah. Sorry about the siren in the background. And then just to add to that, hmm. pair it with something that Lucci said. And why do you force these rules on yourself? Because as Lucci put in one of his, in his GA Cup conversations lecture was – you will never find that they are ready. Like it'll never be, I should rephrase that. It will never be obvious to you that they are ready. You know, you will never look at a player and just like know deep in your heart that that player is ready. If you're always looking for those cues, 
You just have to look at some of the soccer parts. You have to evaluate them as a player and trust them. You have to put your trust in them. Um, and if you're not willing to do that naturally, which I don't think we can blame people for putting their lives on the, their livelihoods on the line for teenagers, right. then you have to create natural incentives outside of that. Yeah, it makes sense. I got to get going, guys. I got to. No. You guys, you guys going to keep going without me? No, right. we're done. This is awesome, though. Yeah. Adam, thanks so much, man. Thanks, uh, Bobby. You know, an honor to thanks, come on guys. the same stuff. Yeah, same here. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> See you guys. Your first night. Hey, the first first ever appearance on Twitch. That's right. <laughs> See you, dude. Young again.